Hello, my friends. We are back at it again. Hopefully, one of the final times that we'll be having to uh, gather together this way if you're unable to gather with us at South Broadway. Uh, construction, renovation is going really great. Um, the light is certainly at the end. I know, I know I always say that. The light is at the end of the tunnel. But one of these times, it's going to be true. Um, I know I've said we think the light's at the end of the tunnel, but we really do feel like we're, we're about to be able to uh, give you a, a great timeline for when we will be back. Uh, and I think it'll be sooner rather than later. And so thank you for your patience. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Um, we're really, really excited um, to show you everything that the construction team has been working on and the uh, construction company. And, and I, I think you're going to really like it. And I think it's going to help us um, be even more effective at making faithful followers by being able to um, um, be hospitable to those who are worshiping with us and taking care of uh, those who uh, need um, maybe better access to our facilities. And so thank you so much, folks. Um, as we get started in the Word of God together, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father God, um, as we gather around your Word, we know that this preacher is um, weak and has sin and is not knowledgeable about all things like you are. So Father, we readily admit that we need you every time we open the Bible, because this is true of all of us. So Father, we ask that you fill us with your Spirit. We ask, Father, that you guide our minds in your word. Father, for everyone who um, is watching or listening, Father, we pray that you till the soil of our heart, that the word may be planted and take root. And may we enjoy all that you have promised us in our resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ever feel like the whole world is out to get you? Ever feel like you, do you feel, ever feel like you can't make anyone happy? Well, that's what we're seeing in Jesus' life right now. He comes into Jerusalem. He clears the temple, declaring He is Lord of the temple. He is God. He has come to abolish the temple. Everything that we used to do in the temple to be right with God, we now do in Jesus. And that sparks controversy in every political party, every theological party, every sphere we could think of. People just don't like what Jesus is doing. Doesn't matter where they're coming from. He is an equal opportunity offender. We saw last week uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, the more conservative political parties of Israel, they were trying to trap him and trick him. And today we're going to see the more liberal parties of Israel don't like what Jesus is doing and they try to trip him up and to make him stumble. And I think this is a good illustration for our life. If, if both extremes in our culture has a problem with the way we're following Jesus, there's a pretty good chance that we're following Jesus the right way. Because the extremes in his culture didn't like the way that he was walking. And so, yeah, sometimes if people don't like us, we're just being a jerk. But sometimes following Jesus means we're not going to be popular. We're not going to fit neatly into any box. Because Jesus doesn't fit neatly into any box. 
So if that's what you're feeling, uh, take heart. Take heart. Very, it could mean that you're following Jesus in the way that you should be. Um, so let's talk about, let's see, let's read about the, the Sadducees. The Sadducees. The more liberal political party. The more liberal religious party of Jesus' time. They come to Jesus. And likely in the temple... They try to trap him. They try to trick him. Let's read. This is Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 18. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Mark chapter 12, big number 12, little number 18. goes like this. And Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection. Well, that's a big problem for Jesus, right? And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seventh left with no, light, no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, is it not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? Ouch. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Okay, what's going on here? What's going on here? Jesus is very popular. Jesus attracts a crowd everywhere he goes. We had the Pharisees, the more conservative end of the spectrum, last week try to trap him. And now we have the liberal arm trying to trap him, the Sadducees. Sadducees, uh, we don't know a ton about their origin, but we know some of the things that they believed. They believed um, only in the first five books of the Old Testament. That's called the Pentateuch, five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what they believed was Scripture. So they cast off everything else. Um, they also, more distinctly, what we talk about most of all when it comes to Sadducees, is they rejected the idea of a bodily resurrection. Now what does this mean? What does this mean? This means that when someone dies for the Sadducees, they believed that we decayed in the ground and that was it. That we ceased to exist. What a bleak and hopeless existence and belief that must be. Can you imagine? But this is what they believed. This is what they taught. They believed in God. They believed in Israel being God's people. But they believed when a person died, they go extinct. 
There's a lot. There's a lot I'd like to ask these guys. There's a lot I would like to pursue in this. Why in the world would you ever feel hopeful? Why in the world would you ever, ever want to become a better person? Why in the world would, would, what would compel you to do things like worship and pray and all those things if you're just going to cease to exist? Actually, there's a lot. There's a lot of baggage that I'd want to unpack there with these folks. And so that's what they believe. Pretty striking belief, especially talking to the one who will die and be bodily raised from the dead. And what they were trying to do with Jesus is they were using their favorite argument to try to trap someone. They knew Jesus believed in the bodily resurrection because that's what God words, God's Word says, even in the Pentateuch, as we we're going to see in a moment. Um, but they are trying to trap Jesus, trying to embarrass Him in front of, of the whole crowd, trying to embarrass anybody who believes in the resurrection. And so this is how they did it. They took, uh, they took a, a passage from Deuteronomy 25.5, right? They're the Pentateuch. They believe in Deuteronomy. They took Deuteronomy 25.5 that says, If a man dies without a son, his widow should marry his oldest single brother. And that way he can have a son, and that son will take the dead husband's name. Are you with me? The man and wife are married, have no children. The man dies in order to carry on his name. His brother, single brother, should marry his widow, have a son, and the first son takes on the dead father's, the dead husband's name. Are you with me? And so this was a way to uh, show honor to that person's name, that your name won't fall away. Um, there's a lot of other reasons for that, but the main reason, the sad, well, the only reason the Sadducees brought this up was to trick Jesus, trick anybody who, who believes in the resurrection, because they said this, What if a woman marries a husband who dies without giving, without a son? And then he, she marries his brother, who dies without giving him a son. And then the next guy marries her. The next brother marries her and dies without giving a son. All the way down, and in, in total, she has married seven brothers without sons to carry on anybody's name. Well, first... I'd start asking some serious questions to this woman if this was a true person. Your husband just ended up dead. There's something crazy going on here. You've had seven of these guys. Uh, but if this was a true, true statement, a true story, of course this is an extreme. Uh, but if this was true, they said, well, see, whose husband, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? Would she be the first guy's wife? Because that was her first. Would she be the last guy's wife? Would she be somewhere in the middle? Whose wife would she be? And in this way, they're supposed to argue and say, see, the resurrection is silly. Because it couldn't work out this Deuteronomy 25.5 command. So therefore, they would say, see, look, it's a ridiculous thing to believe that people could rise from the dead. And so, Jesus answers them. Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Jesus, who has set up this entire system of salvation, of who knows the end from the beginning, who knows everything that's going to happen. And he looks at them and he says, you're wrong because you just don't know what you need to be knowing. There's a lot the Sadducees didn't know. He says, after the resurrection, humans will not be given in marriage. Marriage will not be a human institution. We'll be like the angels. Now, it doesn't mean like angels in every respect. We'll be like the angels when it comes to marriage. 
that will not be an institution for humanity after the resurrection of the dead. He says it like this. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not, the God, not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham after Abraham has been buried. That means he has not ceased to exist. Abraham has not ceased to exist. He is the God of Abraham now. Because Abraham has not ceased to exist. You are quite wrong, he says. You are quite wrong. And so... We are going to discuss four things that the Sadducees didn't know, that you and I need to know. First thing, the Sadducees didn't know the truth of the resurrection of the dead. Now maybe this is something that you haven't heard much, or maybe this is a, an area of your, of your faith that's maybe less developed. I don't think we talk about this very often. Um, but Jesus is not the only person who will be resurrected. We talk about Jesus' resurrection all the time, as we should. That is, a, that is the central event in our faith. We are saved because Jesus is alive. Paul said, if Jesus stayed dead, we are most to be pitied because we are still in our sins and we are going to hell. But Jesus was resurrected from the dead. But he's not the only one to be resurrected. This is what the Bible says. Let's go through the biblical evidence, the biblical understanding of what resurrection is. Resurrection first is physically seeing God after our body has died, decayed, and been destroyed. This is what Job says. Job 19. Listen how beautiful this passage is. Job 19, 25-27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. Wow, this is Old Testament stuff. My Redeemer lives, and He will stand upon the earth. He will have feet to stand upon the earth. That's Jesus. I know my Redeemer lives. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Oh, my heart faints within me. Isn't that a beautiful passage? But that shows us that in Job, even in the Old Testament, the old, old, old book of Job says, we will be decayed, our flesh will be destroyed, and we will see our God, our Redeemer, in our flesh, with our eyes. That's what resurrection is. Resurrection is a body, physical body, Dead, gone, buried, decayed, destroyed. And then in God's power, He resurrects that physical body again. Gives life to that physical body. Gives life to that dead person again. So that physically they will see God. Our eternal destiny is not to be floating around on a cloud like some spirit. Our eternal destiny will be a physical, resurrected body walking with God in the new heaven and new earth. Resurrection. 
I'm jumping ahead of myself. So that's what resurrection is. Number two, all people will be raised from the dead. All people will be raised from the dead. John 5, 28 and 29 says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. All who hear the voice of Jesus will come out of their tombs. All. Everybody. Not just believers. Everybody will be raised from the dead someday by the voice of Jesus. Okay. All people be raised. Now what will happen when they are raised? What will happen when we are raised? Revelation 20 gives us insight to what will happen. It says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which was the bo is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Okay. We will be raised from the dead, all of us. We will stand before God. Going back to that Job thing, right? We will see God with our eyes. Job was happy about it because he's a believer. Non-believers will see God with their eyes as well. And what is going to happen? We will be judged, each one of us, according to what we had done. It says it again. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Before the throne, sky, what does it say? Sky fled away at who was seated on it. I mean, this is an important moment. This is a, a heart-shaking moment. The sky flees. The throne is there. The one seated on the throne will judge the dead by what we have done. So what will happen? The dead will be raised. The righteous will be judged. And the wicked will be judged. Daniel 12, 2 says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Those who are dead and buried will be raised from the dead. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The wicked will be judged and they will experience not eternal life, but eternal shame and eternal contempt. The end of John 5, 28, 29, we read a little bit of it earlier. It goes like this. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Resurrection of life, Daniel says, everlasting life for the righteous. The resurrection of judgment to those who have done evil, everlasting shame and everlasting contempt. The resurrection of the dead.
And so now we're thinking, Christian, we're thinking, how in the world could anybody be saved? Because we know that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We know that we have all done wicked things, that our heart is, is twisted and broken. We know these things. So how in the world can anybody be saved? When, we're res when the dead is raised on the, in the last day, Jesus is going to find us all sinful. So if all have sinned, how can anyone be raised to eternal life? Jesus says this, John 6, 39-40, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I, Jesus, should lose nothing of all that He has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Isn't that amazing? So, we'll be raised and judged and we will be judged on what we have done and those of us who have looked to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life and so we are judged on what we have done have we placed faith in Jesus have we repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus and if we have then what we have done is righteousness. We have followed Jesus, which is the most righteous thing that we can do. And of course, we have faith in Him. This is not a good work that saves us. But as we follow Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit will begin to produce righteousness in us. So we are credited with Christ's righteousness when we place faith in Him. God, our bank account says zero righteousness, and we have been given credit to, of Jesus' righteousness. And so we're declared righteous. And we are also learning to walk like Jesus because the Holy Spirit has empowered us to begin to live like Jesus. Can we take credit of any, for any of that? No. But we do start producing righteousness. And so as God judges those who follow Jesus, He judges us by the works that we have done in the Holy Spirit after being saved. The evidence of salvation is good works produced by God the Holy Spirit. So those who are saved after the resurrection of the dead will be saved because they looked to Jesus, repented, and believed in Him. And when we believe in Him, we will be filled with the Holy Spirit who will begin to produce good works which are evidence of salvation and of which, by which, we will be judged. And so, what will, what will we be like? Here's the last question. So, we'll be, we'll be resurrected. I have faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in me, producing righteousness. I've been credited with Christ's righteousness, so I've been declared righteous by God. So, I'm before the throne, although I am still sinful, I will be declared righteous because I have faith in Christ. And what will our resurrection body be like? What will we be like when we are resurrected from the dead? as believers. Well, Jesus is our prototype. 1 Corinthians 5.20, or 15.20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus was resurrected as the first fruits, the first one to spring up, Jesus. He's our prototype. And as His resurrection body was, so ours will be. So what Jesus' resurrected body was like, ours will be like His. Philippians 3, 21 and 22 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. So that is a taste, a bite of what it means when we say the resurrection of the dead, that the Pharisees rejected, but that Jesus shows us is truth. Our eternal destiny is a physical resurrection body in perfect relationship with God forever in the new heaven and the new earth. That's what we have to look forward to. It's going to be awesome. And so, I know that was a lot of scripture, but I think that's important for us. It's an important doctrine, the resurrection of the dead. What are we going, what are we going to be like? Where are we going? What do we mean by heaven? What do we mean by eternal life? What does that look like? It's important for us to see. It's an important piece of the puzzle for the hope that we have in Jesus. Now, Pharisees didn't know the reality of the resurrection of the dead. Or the, sorry, the Sadducees didn't know. The Sadducees also didn't know the pleasures of eternity with God. Now this will be a tough one for us to, to talk about. This will be a tough one for some of us to hear. See, the Sadducees, part of their assault on the resurrection of the dead was saying, hey, I'm going to take the most important relationship in many people's life and I'm going to show how that relationship that gives tremendous joy, that is a tremendous blessing, I'm going to show how marriage can't exist in eternity after the resurrection. And their thinking is, if I take away marriage, one of the highest, if not the highest, relationship that many people will have on earth. If I take that away, surely the resurrection of the dead will all just, everything else will just fall like a house of cards. But see, what the Pharisees didn't realize is that the pleasures of eternity will far outstrip anything that we experience in earth, on earth. The Sadducees didn't realize, didn't understand, didn't know that God has things set out for His people in a resurrection life, the joys of which we can only, we can't even hope to imagine. You see, eternal life will be an improvement on even the best things of this life. My friends, being with Jesus in eternity, in our resurrection bodies, will be better than our best relationships in this life. Marriage is a great thing. However, even the best marriage that's ever existed is bad in comparison to our relationship with Jesus. Paul says it like this, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3.7 Christ is an improvement over even the best things in life. So, our relationship with Jesus will replace and, and eternally and infinitely exceed all our earthly relationships, even marriage. And so Jesus says, yes, we will not be married and given in marriage in heaven. But, 
but that is okay because we have better relationships in store than even the best that we experience here on earth. I hope that's clear. The Pharisees thought, if I take marriage out of the equation, everything falls, and falls apart. Jesus says, no, you're right. Marriage is not a part of the human experience for eternity in heaven with God. However, it will be replaced by something even better. That's great news. That's great news. As good as our marriages can be, we have better things in store. What a blessing. What a blessing. And that's a blessing our single brothers and sisters. We do a bad job of ministering to you so often. But listen, marriage is not an eternal relationship that you will be left out of. No, God has something that is so much better than marriage in store for all of us when it comes to relationships. And that good news? That's great news. Pharisees, the Sadducees have failed to understand the joys and pleasures that God has for us. There's so much more than just marriage. Also, God will not only improve our sorrows, but He will also improve our best pleasures in eternal life. We seem to think that the best things that I have on earth are right here. My best day, my best vacation, my best relationship, my best experience in marriage, all those things are right here. And what, what we, we, we are tempted to believe, there's the best. And then what heaven is going to be like is just the worst things are going to be picked up. And so then all the worst things are going to come up and, and match what is best in this life. That is not heaven. Heaven is about, yes, our sorrows will be gone and our sorrowful things will be elevated. However, the greatest pleasures that we experience will be elevated as well. This is what Paul says to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 2.9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those who love Him. So Pharisees, Sadducees, 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 Sadducees. There is no marriage in heaven, and that does not decrease the pleasures that we will find with an eternity with God. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving God, Paul says, has in store for those who love Him pleasures beyond belief. That will make us forget all the pleasure we thought we had on earth. All the best things on earth will just fall away in comparison with all the pleasures and joys that God has set for those who love Him. That good news? And that good news? John Piper says it this way, If an infinite, all-wise, all-powerful being loves us and tells us that He has planned experiences for us in the age to come that exceed our ability to imagine, then we may conclude that these experiences will be inconceivably better than our best pleasures in this world for the simple reason that we can indeed imagine these things. Isn't that good news? 
the pleasures we receive from marriage will be replaced and exceeded by our relationship with God in eternal life. And we will lack nothing. I know it jostles our heart to say, my relationship with my wife as we are in heaven for eternity, that, that relationship, marriage relationship will be different. That we will not be married as we are on earth. That jostles our heart a little bit. But we know what God has promised. That because, just because marriage is not there does not mean we will have anything lacking. There is nothing of eternal good and ever-increasing joy that I will lack in eternity with Christ. There is nothing good that I will ever lack in eternity. There is nothing good that He will take away from me. I will have a fullness of joy. This is Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of God our joy is full. Marriage is not there. It is not the same. But that does not decrease in, decrease my joy. That will not decrease my joy. That will not decrease my satisfaction. I will be full. My joy will be full to overflowing. Every moment my joy will be increasing and increasing and increasing in fullness. How does that work? I don't know. But He will do it. That's the promise of God. So the Sadducees were incorrect about a lot of things. And what they were incorrect about here is that they did not know the goodness of our God. Even if we take away the good thing of marriage, that does not mean we will lack anything in heaven. On the contrary, whatever God takes away that we have now, it is only to replace with something even greater and better. That good news. Sadducees did not know that. Sadducees also didn't know the word of God. It says you do not know these things. Why? Because you did not know the word of God. Sadducees, as we said, rejected most of the Old Testament. And so Jesus uses, since that's what they believed in, Jesus uses a passage from the Pentateuch, from Exodus, which they did accept. To show that God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're still alive. They'll be resurrected. Resurrection bodies. So how did they miss this point? They missed this point because they didn't know Scripture. And they'd say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a Sadducee. I know the Pentateuch. And hey, I'm such a smart guy. I even know the stuff that you think is the Word of God. They say, I could, I could tell you, I could quote to you the entire Pentateuch. All five books. I could tell you. What do you mean I don't know the Bible? Well, here's a good truth for us, Christian. We can know the Bible without knowing the Bible. There are folks who could run circles around all of us in biblical trivia and yet not truly know the things of God. In fact, 
what I have found is that many times when someone says and someone shows off their biblical knowledge and that is something that they 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 show people and that's something that they appear to be to found their life on that they know all these things like trivia sometimes those people are the ones that that love least sometimes it's those people who are more judgmental the word of god knowing the word of god should make us more humble more loving more kind, more compassionate, more empathetic, more sympathetic. But instead, what's happened for the Sadducees and Pharisees is their trivia knowledge of the Word of God has not increased their love, has not increased their humility, their meekness. It's made them more prideful, less kind. So we must be wary of that. We must be aware that that could happen to us. And so what Jesus shows is He shows us our, the correct view of Scripture. The Sadducees did not know the Word of God. Jesus shows us that the Word of God is perfect. Listen to what Jesus says again. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Jesus' whole argument stems on a, for us, a two-letter word, am. He says am instead of was. Now, what's the big deal? Jesus is showing us that the Word of God, down to each individual word, is perfect and exactly what God wants. And we can balance our theology. We can balance our understanding of God. We can balance our understanding of eternity on each individual word. Even a word that seems so insignificant like am. Jesus says, no, you are wrong and I will show you why. Because this exact word is spoken in the Bible. Am. I am the God of Abraham. Not I was the God of Abraham. I am the God of Abraham. He shows us what we know and what we see in the New Testament. All Scripture is God-breathed, and God does not lie. All Scripture. Jesus will tell us this. Matthew 5, 18, For I tell you, truly, until heaven and earth pass away, not a single jot or tittle or stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What does that mean? Dot of the I, cross of the T, stroke of the pen, down to the minute details, the Word of God is perfect. That's why we believe that the Word of God is inerrant, is sufficient, is powerful and authoritative for our life. Because it is perfect. It is the Word of God. It is the communication of God that we can rely on, that we can build our life upon, even the ams. So we see that Jesus shows us how we should treat the Word of God as the Word of God. 
To not know Scripture is to not know God or what He has done for His people. The Sadducees didn't know the reality of the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees didn't know the goodness of God that will be for His people throughout eternity. The Sadducees didn't know the Word of God. And the Sadducees didn't know the power of God. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. What is he talking about? The power of God is best displayed for us in the resurrection of the dead. That is the picture of what the power of God can do for us. It is a picture of how God conquers our enemies. It is a picture of how strong God is and all that He wants to do, He will do. It is a picture of the power of God that He is willing to unleash on those who follow and trust in Jesus. It's the power of God. The power of God is, is the picture by which we, He displays and He shows us how powerful He is. The power of God is summarized in resurrection. It is summarized in this. He makes dead people alive. He has promised to take everything dead and resurrect it to life for His glory and for the good of all who trust in Jesus. It's the power of God. He resurrects sinfulness and makes it righteousness. He resurrects a sinful person and makes him a righteous person. We can't do that on our own. Paul tells us we were, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but made alive in Christ Jesus. Resurrection of the dead is the picture of how we become righteous, how we become right with God. The power of God in resurrection. And if He can resurrect dead bodies, dead people, He can resurrect dead marriages. Since He can raise Jesus from the dead, since He will raise us from the dead, what can't He do? What can He do with your dead marriage? He can raise it from the dead. What can He do with your dead heart? I am just so overcome with bitterness or hatred or racism or a judgmental attitude or critical eyes that want to criticize everybody. What's dead about your heart? Jesus can resurrect your dead heart to life. The power of God is summarized in resurrection. He can resurrect dead relationships, dead friendships, he can resurrect dead jobs. I'm in a dead-end job. I can't. God can resurrect your job, give you a purpose to glorify Him even at your place of work. He can resurrect even dead jobs. He can resurrect dead churches. The power of God can resurrect dead and dead gatherings of believers that have decided other things, things other than the gospel, are important. He can resurrect dead churches that have decided 
Being a country club is more important than reaching the lost for Christ. He can resurrect dead churches that have, that have gone away from the Word of God. He can resurrect. Isn't that good news? The Sadducees don't understand that because they don't know the power of God. It's summarized in the resurrection. And of course, the power of God shows us. He is, is made man of us, showed us clearly, and that He can resurrect dead souls that are dead, destined for hell for an eternity of shame and contempt and sorrow and suffering of eternal death, which is eternal conscious suffering. He can resurrect a soul destined for eternity in hell, can resurrect us in this life to eternal life. That good news. That's why he calls it, that's why, that's why it's called eternal life and eternal death. Eternal death doesn't mean we cease to exist. No, it is an eternity of, of, of experiencing the things of death. And he resurrects us in Christ Jesus into eternity of life with him. So to reject the resurrection is to reject the power of God. Because that's what he does. He loves bringing dead things to life for his glory and for the good of his people. So, this is the offering that God makes to you. Whatever is dead in your life, Jesus offers to resurrect it for His good, for His glory, and for your good. Dead relationships, Jesus can raise them from the dead. Dead marriages, Jesus can raise them from the dead. Dead churches, Jesus can raise them from the dead. So what in your life do you need to hand over to God and ask Him to display the power that He has in raising it from the dead? Most importantly of all, if you're watching this and your, your destiny is eternal death, which is eternal conscious suffering, contempt, shame, Due to our sinfulness. Is that where your destiny is? Well, God has offered to resurrect you to eternal life through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It is a free gift of grace. Scripture says not by works. You don't have to work hard to earn it. We don't earn it. It is a free gift. We accept it. So if you're watching this today and you know your eternity is destined for eternal death in hell, I urge you, repent and believe the good news that Jesus Christ saves all who trust in Him. We love you. May God show you the power of His resurrection in all areas of our lives and your life. We'll see you again next time.